Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam on 89.3 WPFW, your Pacifica radio station in Washington, D.C. In this hour, we are continuing WPFW's Election Day coverage live from Busboys and Poets in Brooklyn. And this hour, like our coverage every week, Fridays at 10 a.m., is devoted to activists and activism for social justice. Medea Benjamin, Kamon Freeman, Tracy Red. Michelle Roberts are in the house, and we have special social media updates by poet and Facebook superstar poster Tony Medina. Tony, you have something for us? Here, here. <laughs> I am seeking a certificate of live birth for Donald Trump's hair. A red rooster slossed and flopped over a sloped forehead's scrunched face. A dead possum playing possum. Propped up roadkill on the windshield of his strained face. I am checking for its authenticity. Does it exist in the same time zone as his head, which functions as a hollow silo for his receding brain? I am seeking the purity of each strand of hair in pain. Waxed, dyed, fried, wrung like a wet mop and hung and slung. Every which way devil may care, hair, hair. It may be a distraction, it may expouse brass rash reactions from the pie hole of his smug fat fish face, blowhard words caught in the gullet of a mouth never on pause, whose fabrications and aspersions are claws stuck in the bottom of a barrel full of Dixieland flags waving desperately in the wind of defeat like charred ash flakes from a bombed out lung. But I am also seeking the legitimacy of the hair on his tongue. Wow. Social media update from Tony Medina. So polls close at 8 p.m. in the district and in Maryland and 7 p.m. in Virginia. So you have about two or three hours to vote. And while you take us with you in the next hour, we'll get started with the issue of war and peace. The United States and its allies have bombed or are bombing at least eight countries in the Middle East and Africa. We are selling arms to governments committing human rights violations, and we could even say committing genocide. And our tax dollars are being used to interfere in the affairs of other countries without guns with the funding of so-called soft power through NGOs and other elements of civil society. With me to discuss war, peace, and the election is Medea Benjamin. Medea Benjamin is the co-founder of the women-led peace group Code Pink and the co-founder of the human rights group Global Exchange. She has been an advocate for social justice for more than 40 years, described as one of America's most committed and most effective fighters for human rights by New York Newsday and one of the high-profile leaders in the peace movement by the Los Angeles Times. She was one of 1,000 exemplary women from 140 countries nominated to receive the Nobel Peace Prize on behalf of the millions of women who do the essential work of peace worldwide. She is the author of nine books, including her most recent, Kingdom of the Unjust, Behind the U.S.-Saudi Connection. Welcome back to On the Ground, Medea. Hey, nice to be with you. So let's jump right in. It seems that progressives are torn between what could happen domestically with Trump, talking about building a wall and, you know, 
exporting Muslims versus what could happen internationally with a Clinton presidency because she has a track record in terms of what's happened in Libya and Syria and Africa and Honduras. So what are your views on war and peace and the peace movement and this presidential race? I think whoever's going to be in the White House is going to be horrible. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a silver lining to that, which is people thought Barack Obama was going to be a peace president, and so we let down our guard. And people just sort of thought maybe he would get us out of these wars. Maybe the drone wars he's championing aren't so bad. Maybe these seven, eight different countries we're bombing, um, we're not really doing too much. In any case... No illusions. The White House is going to be occupied by a hawk. The hawk will probably be Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton said one of her priorities is bringing Netanyahu from Israel to the White House right away. She's going to deepen the love affair. She's going to go after the people in this country who are using nonviolent tactic championed by the Palestinians called Boycott, Divestment, Sanctions, BDS, and we're going to fight back. And so we're going to have a really strong movement there, and she's going to try to get us deeper into the war in Syria, and people will fight back there. So, you know, we're, we're ready. So, speaking of APAC, I remember being down at the Verizon Center with you when APAC came, and Hillary Clinton was there singing their praises and basically coming out against the BDS movement. So I'm wondering how... Can progressives vote for her with with realizing that it's a vote basically against the Palestinian people? Yeah, well, you know, people have a lot of issues and they're all important. So I don't mind who people vote for. I mind what they do after they vote. And that's starting like tomorrow. So... You know, it doesn't really matter if you voted for Hillary, Jill Stein, Gary Johnson. I don't know. If you voted for Trump, it's kind of weird. But uh, I think it's important to say it's, you know, we, we have some movements that are, that are dynamic right now, like the Black Lives Matter, like the, the Standing Rock, the Dakota Pipeline stuff. Um, the immigrant rights folks are ready to go. But the peace movement's been really missing in action for a long time. There's kind of a few diehards of us who have been out there saying Obama's not a peace president. We've got to do something about it. On the Palestinian front, there's been a lot of people, a lot of young people. I've been touring around with my book and find them on the college campuses. But we need to bring the peace movement into the fold of these other activist groups right. and put it right front and center saying we're not going to get anything in terms of money for our cities, money for transportation, right. money for college education, money for Medicare for all, none of these things, unless we look at the Pentagon budget, we cut that budget, and we free up some of the funds for other things, and we stop killing people all over the world. Yeah, so I, I want to bring in uh, Kamon Freeman. He's a writer, activist, organizer, and program director for We Act Radio. And what Medea just mentioned, uh, this Pentagon budget, the last figure I heard was that 53% of the discretionary budget for the country is spent on wars and the military. And yet, I'm wondering, what can the peace movement do to, like she said, link that struggle to all these other struggles that are going on? Because we, we can't have uh, college affordable for everybody. We can't have uh, you know, better housing and uh, better streets and rebuild our infrastructure if that amount of the money is going to fund war and war making on people. America is Rome. 
it's an empire. It's, it's not a country, and we need to stop looking at it as a country. It is an empire, and the nature the nature of empires is that it has to expand constantly. The moment it stops expanding, it will begin to contract. And so, when as long as we have the proverbial enemies that need to be conquered, uh, uh, and that expansion is still in play, then we'll pay little attention to the home front. People won't examine what has ha- happened domestically because of this external threat that takes precedence over their concerns in the name of patriotism. And in the words of Emma Goldman, the, the, the last refuge of scoundrels. So what we need to understand is that this is a machine, all right? Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a big uh, hummer that, um, that kills for fuel and will run over people in this way and blow smoke in our children's faces. And every four years, we get a pre-screen selection of a different driver of this, this, this monster vehicle. And we're told that we can either get with this or we can get with that. And we're at, in reality, we, you know, when we get to the proverbial fork in the road, we actually have three choices. We can go this way, we can go that way, or we can turn around. And the direction that we're going, it, it requires a U-turn. And neither one of these um, parties are going to turn us around. That's why we have to, at some point, face the music and really seriously develop a third party, a third alternative. We say the same thing every four years. Oh, they can't win. They can't win. They can't win. They can't win because we do not ever support them. Okay? Right. And and I think that the proof is in the pudding with the election of Barack Obama, the hope candidate, the change candidate. And we see what that has gotten us. A lot of symbolism without substance. So until we want to face the music and face our fears, we're going to always continue to get what we got, which is the um, medical definition of insanity. You know, speaking of the the symbolism, you know, people have talked about on on the, on our show. We had a series we, we called the F word, and we started talking about fascism and proto fascism, like two years ago. But people talk about fascism in this election in connection with Trump, and it seems to be an analysis based on style, the strong man, you know, versus what I see as the dangers of something like the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which to me is corporate control over government. To me, that's the classic definition of fascism. So I find it so strange that we get into these conversations where people want to use that word when under this neoliberal government that we have right now, we're, we're facing that now and with Citizens United. So I don't know if you have some thoughts on that, Medea or Kamon. Well, it is, it, it's been so topsy-turvy. I mean, here you have Hillary Clinton, who, let's face it, she's probably going to be the next president, so let's talk about her. And, you know, she's supposed to be the one that's the real Democrat in this race. And I just wrote this book about Saudi Arabia. She's the one who took 10 to $25 million from the Saudi government while she knew that the government was funding ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and exactly. the Boko Haram and all these groups. And then on top of that, she says, well, we got to do something about the Soviets. The, the Saudis. You know what else she did? She authorized tens of billions of dollars of weapon sales to them. So she's an incredible hypocrite when it comes to trying to be a, quote, Democrat with a small D even and spread our values of democracy around the world. So- I'm glad you brought up TPP uh, because, you know, for all our diehard Obama uh, fans out there who say that, you know, if only... Uh, he would have been a better president if only there was no obstructionism from um, the racism that ex- does exist in the Republican Party and, and also in, um, in, around this country, for that matter. Uh, the TPP is fully backed by Republicans and fully backed by Barack Obama, who has been fighting for it tooth and nail. And the game is to try to get it passed through the lame duck section here. Right. So here you have the Republican Party working hand-in-hand with Barack Obama on this. 
And so, you know, if Barack Obama had fought for um, the Black Lives Matter or even Standing Rock at the same pitch he's fought for the passing of TPP, we probably have gotten some justice by now. And I just want to make this, this point because a lot of people are not aware that uh, we're now looking at the FBI as somehow corrupt because they're investigations of, of Clinton. But they have published themselves a 2006 FBI report that confirms that law enforcement, all U.S. law enforcement, has been infiltrated by white supremacists, which will also include, by virtue, the FBI themselves. So we are ignoring that, and that's why we can get um, something like the bunny trial and Standing Rock at the same time. So talk a little bit about your book, Medea, Kingdom of the Unjust. It just came out, I think you just mentioned, uh, WikiLeaks in its most recent revelations prove really that Hillary Clinton knew that Saudi Arabia and Qatar are funding or were funding ISIL. And it's actually amazing to me that this isn't really bigger news, that in these waning days of the election, and now we're here on election day, it seems like in many elections we've been, that would be a, a major bombshell. You mean this... And not that she knew that, only that she knew they were funding ISIL, but they're funding her also. They're giving her, so these two countries, uh, Qatar and Saudi Arabia. So, so with that in mind, talk to us about your book and, you know, how it kind of uh, illuminates more for the election today. Well, Kimon was talking about the military-industrial complex and what a machine it is. You see this around Saudi Arabia. I mean, originally the U.S.-Saudi connection was about oil, and it still is about oil. But now there's another big factor that the Saudis have become by far the number one weapons purchaser from the United States. $115 billion worth of weapons just under Obama. That's a massive amount of weapons sales. And so we're giving it to this repressive regime that represses women, that represses religious minorities like the Shia, the only country where it's illegal to build a church, uh, the country that represses the foreign workers who are basically indentured servants, and then is spreading this intolerant, fundamentalist perversion of Islam around, and the United States is arming that government to the teeth. And then what does the Saudis do? They, find, they give money and our weapons to the Al-Qaeda affiliates in Syria, in Iraq, in Libya. Uh, they're destroying the country of Yemen, absolute catastrophe in Yemen right now. And the U.S. is helping them, not only giving the weapons, but then maintaining these weapons, refueling them in the air, giving them logistical support, giving them diplomatic cover. So it's really just mind-boggling this relationship between the two devils which is you know our government and the Saudi government so can you tell us more about Yemen because I I think we hear so little about it in the mainstream media and a lot of people actually still don't know that not only are we selling arms to Saudi Arabia that is bombing Yemen, but they also don't know that we're actually engaged in some ways through the refueling and other activities. The Saudis went into Yemen when they saw a civil strife going on. They wanted to make sure a a government more favorable to Iran didn't get control. So they went in there thinking it would be quick and dirty. Now it's 20 months, and they have leveled so much of that country, destroying the water system, the sewer system. In fact, there's an outbreak of cholera because of lack of clean water and lack of medical facilities. 
And in the meantime, they could not do any of this were it not for the United States. Because as you as you apply, it's not just the weapons. It's the U.S. personnel that's keeping these weapons maintained, that's refueling these weapons. And, you know, the U.S. has been giving, quote, intelligence support, and yet a third of all the targets have been civilian targets. So what kind of intelligence are we talking or about? Or how intelligent the, is it? Yeah. And so the, the, the blood of all these Yemeni people, thousands and thousands of dead, and now millions of malnourished kids because we, they can't get the food imports, uh, is on our hands, and unfortunately, the media is not covering this. Yeah, and, and speaking of the media, uh, media and Kamon, the uh, the way that Syria is being covered, for example, I guess it's been shown to be very hypocritical in recent weeks because the way that the Aleppo conflict is being depicted in our media does leaves out the humanitarian crisis that we're creating in Aleppo ourselves and also in Mosul and in, as in Yemen that she just mentioned. So as someone who runs independent media, how do you, I guess, I don't know, counteract or what the mainstream media is not covering in terms of our involvement abroad? That's a $64,000 question uh, because um, I, I, I wonder myself, how can so many lucid, otherwise sane people can watch Fox News um, when the government has um, declared that um, they are not legally required to report the truth? They have a moral obligation, but not uh, a, a legal obligation. Um, I think that um, I'm... I'm, I'm going around to, um, to speak to your issue, I think that if people would take the moment to go back and Sankofa to look back at a film, a 1957 film called uh, Face, the, uh, Face in the Crowd uh, with Andy Griffin, and it really talks about how the illusion of information can be used to manipulate um, um, the masses, and I think that is a game book on what we're dealing with right now, because... Uh, when I look back on, on, you know, people always want to say that, oh, you know, the Vietnam War, you know, it was an anti-war movement. It was very effective. Uh, the images that were shown on TV brought it to an end. Well, that war lasted for 12 years, you know. Um, so I think we need to um, uh, actually understand that in order to stop a war machine, we got to stop feeding it, okay. And I think the, name, the, one, the one thing that feeding, feeds it is our tax dollars, and I think that we are in a situation, and in the words of the late great uh, Johnny Cochran, the greatest way to air your grievances against the federal government is the withholding of income taxes. And I say that again, because that is like the holy grail. There's a third rail, and people don't, oh, you know, da 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 da. Taxation by representation is unconstitutional. This, this whole country started off that very issue, okay? So when we talk about Syria and we talk about Libya, we talk, we're going to continue to talk about these places because um, as um, the um, President Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex in his last farewell speech, this is what we got. It is perpetual war, and it's going to be perpetual war until we do what's necessary to stop it. And, you know, what's interesting about that also is the fact that a lot of these wars and conflicts, they aren't even being sanctioned the way the Constitution requires. It's, I mean, Congress is supposed to vote whenever we have war on someone. And for much of these, uh, much of these conflicts, it's just the president uh, sending in drones or sending, uh, selling weapons, and there's no congressional approval. 
No, and in fact, Congress doesn't want to even get engaged because they'd rather just sit in the sidelines. Uh, now you have the U.S. engaged in Yemen. There's absolutely no congressional approval of that. Right. And the congressional approval that they're using for the other wars is back from right after 9-11. Exactly. That's saying, what was it called? A continuing resolution or something? Or Yeah, it? yeah. it's obscene that the, the Congress doesn't uh, really care that it's lost the most important power it ever had, which is the power to declare war or not. You'd think that would be something that they would care about. Tony, you have a, an, an update for us? Well, I have an idea about this conversation. Okay. Um, in terms of what uh, Kamone is suggesting, I think that we should, you know, in terms of our tax dollars, wars are basically for the rich, right? It's rich people's wars. Let them pay for the wars. Let their tax dollars go to that. Our tax dollars will go for education, for, for health care, and things that help our communities. You know, because most people, most American people don't want war, and they don't want to pay for the war. So we should have a movement where we actually, you know, are allowed to pick and choose where we want our tax dollars to go, rather than be forced to pay for wars. Right. Only thing I would say is that I don't think that their tax dollars should go either, because that's part of the public trust. And their tax dollars needs to go to education and highways and infrastructure and everything, too. And one of the reasons why we're in such a bad uh, shape is because they've been able to withhold their taxes. And it's over in the Cayman Islands somewhere. And the notion that they they make us complicit in all of these wars across the yeah, well, well, we could send their sons and daughters to fight in the wars if they really want these That wars. as well. Right, exactly. You know, let yeah. them get drafted. Let them go to war. Let Trump's sons go to war and his daughter. Okay. You know? So I, I want to um, kind of segue out of this. I don't know if we're able to do uh, one minute of music here. Probably not. We better stick with what we have. <laughs> so thank you, Medea. Medea Benjamin, author, activist. Uh, co-founder of Code Pink and her latest book is Kingdom of the Unjust the U.S.-Saudi connection. That's right and thank you for having me on and I look forward to working with your listeners in this new administration to get us out of these wars and put our resources into life-affirming activities. Well, we are definitely going to be out there. You'll see, you'll see us out there on the ground, Medea. And uh, come on, I know you have to leave too, so thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for having me, and shout out to Jill Stein and Ajumu Barker. All right, you got your sticker on there? And the 51st state, we voted for our statehood today. That's right, yeah. that's right. So we'll, we'll, get, we'll get some updates when, um, if we have any more updates about what's happening at the polls. Okay, so if you're just tuning in, you're listening to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital on 89.3 WPFW, your Pacifica radio station in Washington, D.C. We're continuing WPFW's Election Day coverage live from Busboys and Poets in Brooklyn. And joining us for this segment is Tracy Red, organizer with Black Youth Project 100, the D.C. chapter. Thank you for joining me, Tracy. So, what does the election mean for the movement for black lives? uh, um, First of all, um, I I don't think the the election means as much as people think it does for the movement for black lives. Today we had some of our uh, youth out there, some of our members out there at the polls. You know, some people vote for issues 
uh, not the candidates themselves. So we're telling people to vote, vote black and to vote for reparations and for president, actually. And um, as my shirt Oh, says, like to write it in? Like write <laughs> I mean, you can, uh, because like, no matter who's in office, there's still going to be black issues that aren't, that neither candidate is talking about. No, no one's talking about, you know, environmental justice, you know, talk about how black people, you know, don't have access to healthy food and uh, mostly black and brown neighborhoods, you know, so those issues are still going to be here. So the work continues as, as, as normal. Okay. And... I've been wanting to actually follow up with uh, BYP 100 um, and uh, as being part of the coalition that developed a platform for the Movement for Black Lives. So I have a list of the six main points in the war on black people, reparations, invest in safety, divest from harm, economic justice, community control, and political power. So how... Many folks have, you know, kind of signed onto the platform or organizations. Do you know? I believe there was about 50 organizations that were at the table that were talking about the platform that uh, helped release it. I don't know. I haven't seen those latest numbers of how many people uh, signed on. Mm-hmm. We're telling people to uh, kind of take a pledge. We're telling um, people to take a, a pledge online, you know, for the Movement for Black Lives platform. I personally don't know how many people it is, but as I checked, it was thousands of people mm-hmm. uh and even if people don't sign on you know we do have people just today you know i was telling people about the agenda you know to build black features and people were like oh that sounds you no know, that's what i've been trying to work on you know so people have been doing this work they just didn't know what to call it or they just didn't know that it was part of a bigger movement that was bigger than um, themselves okay and tell me about some of the work that you've been doing here locally in D.C., Baltimore, the DMV area? <laughs> well, uh, I'll have to say, I actually just got back about two and a half weeks ago. I was down in Charlotte um, on the ground with my comrades with Charlotte Uprising, um, you know, being on the foreground, you know, being on the, on the front line, you know, against the police and the military gear, uh, uh, gear you know, showing up at court, you know, against what we're from Warren, who's being framed for killing Justin Carr. So I have been a little off the touch with the movement here a little bit. Tell <laughs> um, us about that, though, because I think um, a lot of people, you know how uh, the media takes things into focus and then takes things out of focus, mm-hmm. so a lot of people have kind of forgotten about Charlotte and, and what yeah. happened there and the tremendous uprising by the community. So BYP 100 has been on the ground there. Just tell us tell us about what's happening yeah. in, so I'll, in uh, quick Charlotte. So um, the, the, the work there is still being done um, you know, like you said, once the media takes it out of focus, people think it's, it's, it's done and over with. Uh, people back uh, in Charlotte are still being, over 115 people were arrested um, throughout, the, throughout the uprising. People are in and out of court literally almost every single day down in Charlotte. People are being harassed by the police. Uh, uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg uh, Police Department, people are being arrested coming out of Ubers from jogging uh, along fields, you know, uh, on, on paths. No, so the, the the fear is real. You know, anybody that was live streaming was at risk of being arrested for quote unquote inciting riots. Um, here in D.C., there was another protest last night for Out in Sterling. Yes. Let's go back in September. People don't know, but Out in Sterling here in D.C. Because unfortunately, police brutality and police killings happen so often in D.C. and that we're we're unfortunately kind of react reactionless. You know, it's been about a year since um, Alonzo Smith was killed down by Marlboro Plaza. You know, um, but being with Beverly Smith, you know, his mom, and you know, so it's been a, a really hard year of grieving, um, but the work is, is, is still being done. Someone just killed about 45 minutes outside of 
Charlotte um, last weekend, this past weekend, Salisbury. Someone just killed in Chicago doing a funeral procession while they were visiting from Indianapolis and killed doing a funeral, you know. So the, the, the work is still being done um, all throughout the country. So don't give up on this yet, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, Chantel, but um, I know that you have actually been out at the demonstration for uh, Terrence Sterling for us, for the show. And uh, give, us, give us your sense of it uh, from covering the demonstrations and the actions here in D.C. against police brutality and police, uh, the killing of, of these two men. Uh, Terrence Sterling and a year ago uh, Alonzo Smith. Terrence Sterling, yeah. Not Alton Sterling. No, Terrence Sterling was killed here in in um, yeah yeah uh, on 9/11. He was riding his motorcycle, and police thought that he was riding erratically, and they followed him, and he was uh, I guess kind of cornered in around 3rd and M Northwest and they claimed that he hit their car cruiser with his motorcycle right and um, apparently the police officer didn't even get out of the car he rolled down the window and shot him to death <laughs> so uh, there have been a number of actions here uh, about that and Chantel is going out to uh, I think more than one but why don't you give us some sense of, of the, the, the people and, and their coming out to the actions well, the movement is strong. There are a lot of people. And um, there are a lot of people whose relatives have been shot by police. Uh, a lot of mothers of slain men. Um, yeah, and yeah, and so that they, you, you saw them speak, and then they actually, after the rally, they actually marched. They marched to the intersection, the local intersection where we were, and they stopped traffic. Right, right, yeah. So we we've had coverage of those actions on the show, yeah, and no. um, and and also we had coverage of the action that Tracy participated in in Baltimore, and that was actually after around is it Corin Gaines? Yeah, it was a week after Corin Gaines was killed, um, and her five-year-old son was shot as well. Um, he survived, and that was a week after the Baltimore the Maryland FOP. Fraternal Order of Police had a, a convention in downtown Baltimore. Right, and so they went and and shut down the uh, what was the Marriott or the Hyatt or something. I don't like know. I'm not allowed to go back. Oh. Um, so it's one of those downtown uh, <laughs> hotels in Baltimore Harbor. Okay. All right. So what's what's next? What what's going to happen after today? In that you see in terms of the local organizing around the movement for Black Lives. Like um, my colleague Chantel. Chantel. Like Chantel was saying, the movement in DC is very strong. You know, we're very fortunate. You know, when you think of strong movements, uh, black movements in DC, uh, in the country, you think DC, New York, Chicago. You know, the Bay Area. You know, so we're one of those cities that have a really strong black mo- uh, movement for Black Lives. You know, with Black Lives Matter DC. Shout out to them, Empower DC. So. I think the work is going to continue to be done. You know, I'm nominated member for co-chair for BYP 100 DC. And so, you know, like today I was at the polls at Endicott's Library talking to young people about, uh, you know, some of the issues that pertain to black people. And, you know, like in recruiting, you know, 
kind of doing like a recruit, you know, like bu building the base, you know, building community, you know, so that when the spring comes, you know, uh, as human beings, we should follow the cycles of the season. So as the, as the earth get ready to hibernate, then we should also hibernate and use that time to uh, do skill, skill skill shares, you know, popular education, people education forums, you know, do some of the education work, uh, building, the, building the base so that when the spring comes, you know, like people think, you know, springtime and the summer has been the time where a lot of direct actions take place. And so that's where uh, I think the movement is that, you know, like building that base right here, you know, in the fall and the winter time, you know, instead of, you know, still, still pushing, you know, all these agendas mm -hmm. and all these names, you know, off, off, you know, uplifting the names of black women, girls and femmes and trans women who also um, are being killed, you know, as well. Okay. Well, I know that uh, Medea, who's was speaking earlier, I'm sure that they'll, they won't be hibernating too much uh, through the inauguration. And I say hibernating very loosely. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, we're always working, we're always moving. Right, right. Okay. Well, I've been speaking with Tracy Red, organizer for BYP 100 DC, and um, he is always moving and always organizing. So I thank you for us uh, taking some time to be with us on election day. Did you vote? I see your button says I voted black. I voted black. Um, I voted for issues pertaining to black people, so I don't endorse one candidate or the other. I endorse uh, people to vote for issues that pertain to them. What uh, find a candidate? Just a third-party candidate feel empowered to vote for that third-party candidate. Awesome. Okay. Thank you again. Okay. So we are going to go into our last segment. If you're just tuning in, this is on the ground on thegroundshow.org on 89.3 WPFW Pacifica Radio. And I am pleased to have Michelle Ro Roberts, <laughs> my environmental justice producer here, just back from Wilmington, Delaware, where you were honored by the NAACP. Congratulations. Congratulations for being an awesome activist and, you know, fighter for uh, environmental justice and social justice. So talk to me about environmental justice and this election. We are in the midst of probably the most, I guess, prominent struggle for environmental justice right now with the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, I know that we covered you when you were down in Houston with Sherry Foytlin and other people uh, protesting outside of the corporation running this thing. Uh, that's happening. You know, Flint is still not resolved. And you're working with so many communities that basically show you how Flint is just the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. So we're talking about water, you know, water as an issue in this election. So talk to me. So Esther, just coming, speaking of water, uh, before being in Wilmington, I was in Charleston, West Virginia, where we were pleased, the, we being the Environmental Justice Health Alliance, a collective of over 30 fence line groups and advocates who serve them um, living under the most egregious uh, conditions, we sued the United States government uh, to implement um, rules uh, governing above ground storage tanks near vulnerable spaces, no doubt. Um, and it only took them 44 years to implement these rules. This is part of the Clean Water Act uh, 
And it's our understanding that if these rules have been enacted and implemented and followed through and enforced, then what happened in West Virginia with Freedom Industries would not have happened. So today, two years plus since that incident in West Virginia, people are still purchasing bottled water to bathe themselves. A young woman told me, you know, on the heels of that disaster that they said pregnant women should not drink the water nor bathe. And she said, well, what about my wee tots who, you know, were under five? They never spoke to that. Um, A lot of voices who came out, medical voices and what have you, that did come out for people in the beginning were silenced in in midstream of the process. And this is typically as your earlier guest, Medea, and others were alluding to with big corporations and how they utilize their power and money and influence is our understanding Freedom Industries had not been even uh, inspected in over 10 years. And what is important for people to know Two, a couple of things that's important for people to know with respect to West Virginia is the contaminant that contaminated the waterway, the Elk, the Elk River, is supposedly the cleanser, if you will, to clean coal. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, this is going to provide clean coal. On the other hand, this... Uh, contaminated a water body and a watershed for over three serving over 300,000 people. This is what we sued for along with um, our other communities that are part of the Environmental Justice Health Alliance who were equally uh, receiving due harm uh, with respect to protection of water bodies. So what's going to happen next? And you know, I just, I mean, it's just so infuriating why does this community have to wait so long to get and 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 basically you know i'm just like i'm tongue-tied because i'm starting to get so upset no but but why did they have to wait so long to even get a meeting but there's they still don't have clean water they still don't have any redress to their their issue they are still buying water Mm -hmm. they just had a meeting with the epa but what Mm -hmm. is the epa going to do something about it and when are they going to do it well see the epa now has to implement the rules but where the politics come in and where tonight is a factor is the fact that on the heat what people did not understand and fail to realize on the heels of this disaster the West Virginia political leadership took major issue with the Obama administration, thereby refusing to call that of a federal uh, disaster, federal emergency. And with that not being a federal emergency, that forbid the United States government to come on the ground because they said, we got this. So these folks were willing to sacrifice their own people. What we as a people need to understand is one of the communities most deeply impacted is an unincorporated community called Institute, which actually, if you remember Bhopal, that Union Carbide existed actually right in their community, and the community leadership there actually is a family that 
purchased their freedom, if you will, and gave the land to what is now known as West Virginia State College. Right. Um, and so historically we black historically black colleges college. So we are working in spaces like that. But so now with pushing this, the government must implement these rules in three and a half years. But I'm with you, Esther, and so is the community because now it is the community and their advocates that must do be diligent and do due diligence with their attorneys to make sure that all of their that they are all made whole, if you will. So they are the ones that are without financial compensation, if you will, put taking care of the government's responsibilities. Okay. Well, thank you, Michelle. We're thank definitely you. going to keep following this on the show. Yes. And uh, I, I don't know if uh, you had any closing update for us, Tony. Uh, the only update I have is that Trump is going down tonight. Okay. Oh. Okay. And we will be able to reclaim the color orange once again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that will do it for us on On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org. Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. We are normally on the air on 10 a- at 10 a.m. on Fridays on 89.3 FM. A special thanks to my guests, Medea Benjamin, Kamon Freeman, Tracy Red, Michelle Roberts, Tony Medina, and to my producer, Chantel James. Thanks to our engineers, including Michael Nacella, and thank you for supporting 89.3 WPFW, your station for jazz and justice. You can reach the show at onthegroundshow.org, where you can also listen to all of our shows. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On The Ground Show. I'm Esther Averam. Stay tuned for Andy Shalal and Zine Alameen with continuing election coverage on 89.3 FM WPFW Pacifica Radio. Raise your voice out there. Peace. DJ Lance Reynolds.